You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly with Internet Law Center here in Santa Monica. Glad to have you with us once again. Please be seated. Um, we have another great show for you today. Um, and leading up to tomorrow's um, workshop at the Federal Trade Commission on mobile payments, we're going to start off today by actually talking about the expanding mobile payments market. And we have with us Andrew Pope, who is the um, CTO and co-founder of um, CTO and co-founder of Viableware. Um, which is um, has a major presence in the restaurant market space. And he's going to be with us for our first segment. In the second segment, we're going to be talking to Washington lobbyist Jessica Wasserman, um, who um, is going to give us some insights on the, the growing um, ac- expansion of activity and then great increased investment in um, Washington by a lot of the major Internet companies and maybe give us some insights on where we stand on what is being called Cyber Week as um, CISPA comes to a vote possibly this Friday. So um, without further ado, do we have Andrew on the phone? Yes. Andrew, thank you for joining us. Um, now, Andrew has over 20 years of experience as an architect in startup environments, and um, he's worked with a, a number of um, different um, startups. Anyone, anyone you want to highlight in particular? Oh, it's a long history of, uh, well, we've had a couple of successes. There was Fleet Suite, Purchase Pro. Uh, I've done a lot of work in the purchasing space, particularly corporate purchasing. And uh, uh, Purchase Pro, some may remember, is one of the early high flyers of uh, the dot-bomb era. <laughs> and uh, they, they flew high and fell low 
Fortunately, I was no longer part of the organization when they fell low. Yes, I've, uh, I'm a, a veteran of that era as well. <laughs> and um, so, but glad to have you here. Your current company, Viableware, um, has really marked out a space in um, terms of you know, mobile payments for restaurants in particular. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Uh, essentially, we look at the, the restaurant industry, and just to give a, provide a little bit of background, depending on the credit card industry expert you discuss this with, they will tell you between 60 and 90% of all credit card fraud that happens starts in restaurants. And uh, it's really one of the very few places where we where you will provide your credit card to somebody who you don't know, and they will take it out of your site anymore in, uh, in, in pretty much retail, you swipe your own card. Right. Well, in the restaurant space, it's not just... We, we decided that the best way to combat this is to extend the POS system, the point-of-sale system, to the table and allow the consumer to manage their own card and manage their own transaction. Some key elements of the way that we go about this, we don't interfere with the relationship between the guest and the wait staff. The waiter still takes your order. The waiter still recommends which soup is better. The waiter still uh, makes sure that your water is full and everything else and interacts with you. We just simplify the process of the transaction and then, of course, make it much more secure. Now, um, and, and in terms of picking and focusing on the restaurant transaction. I mean, I would think in terms of not necessarily dollar size, but in terms of actual transaction numbers, that that has to be one of the greatest number of um, transactions, you know, segments there is for mobile consumers. It It is. It's enormous. If you consider that, uh, well, I, I think back to when, when we originally came up with this concept several years ago, uh, I was eating out nine times, nine or ten times a week when you consider business lunches and then mm-hmm. uh, dinners and being out on the weekend. And so that's nine different times, nine or ten, that my credit card was in somebody else's possession. Now, how, well, how is this monetized on your end? We sell the, we sell the system, as, well, lease the system as a subscription to restaurants. One of the barriers to entry in the restaurant industry and in the hospitality industry in general is it's a very low margin business. Mm-hmm. And so uh, because we now have a digital device in front of the guest, we have some opportunities for marketing. We have some, uh, obviously, opportunities to work with uh, some of the companies that have the most to lose, i.e. the credit card companies out there. Uh, to subsidize the cost of this system into the restaurant, and then we charge the restaurant a monthly fee for the equipment and the service, and we manage the security of it. We integrate with their point-of-sale system. Uh, We basically deliver a system that uh, works with their uh, current service sequence, and so it doesn't really change dramatically. It just limits the number of steps the server needs to take. It doesn't change the interaction at all. And on the consumer end, so let's say I, I, you know, I walk into a restaurant that you have a relationship with, and um, I have my mobile phone. Um, what do I need um, on my end? What do I need to do to be able to access that? Well, this is the beauty subscribe, of our or just I don't even have to do that. Right. The, the beauty of our system is we and 
and if we talk about mobile payments for a minute, if you don't mind, there's a little bit of a barrier to entry for mobile payments. Uh, in a restaurant specifically, but uh, this is general of retail as well, you buy a point-of-sale system and you leverage that point-of-sale system until the wheels fall off, until the duct tape that you put on to put the wheels back on falls off, and you, you use it because it's a, it's a huge capital expense. Mm-hmm. And you can't replace those every couple of years. Well, uh, as mobile payments come out, if I have a POS system that I bought in, let's say, 2001, it's certainly not going to handle mobile payments. In 2001, smartphones were, they certainly weren't prevalent. Everybody was, that had a smartphone was carrying a BlackBerry, and essentially what they were able to do was get their email on their phone. You can right. look, I mean, everybody can remember how, how that technology has grown. Well, now you have uh, a problem. So the, the POS systems will handle a credit card. They won't handle a mobile payment. There's no way for real, there's no simple way for me to pay with my phone. So we developed Rail to be able to accept mobile payments uh, using your cell phone, to accept credit card payments. And so you as a consumer can walk in, you're presented with a billfold that looks identical or very similar to what you would get now if you walked into a restaurant. So there's no intimidation factor. It's something that you're familiar with. When you open it up, you're presented with a digital screen, and there's a, uh, a card reader. And also, a, if you've seen the tap-to-pay that they have at uh, various, uh, pretty much anywhere now, there's also that technology built in. So if you choose that you want to pay with your mobile device, mm-hmm. you tap to pay with your mobile device. If you choose that you want to pay with a credit card, you swipe your credit card. When you swipe your credit card through the device, we encrypt the data at the card swipe. So, uh, and, and, we, uh, and, and it's not decrypted until it's provided to the company that actually processes it. And so even if the, uh, the technology in between our device and the processor somehow was to become compromised, all mm-hmm. the data is encrypted. There's, there's, it's essentially useless to anybody who would be able to compromise that network. But for you as a consumer... You, you, you get the security of the system. You are able to use new technology if that's a direction that you want to go. If you want to use legacy technology, i.e. magstrip credit cards, you mm-hmm. can do that. If you want to use an intermediate technology, such as what they're using in Europe and Canada in chip and pin credit cards, you can also do that on our devices. Now, I'm glad you mentioned the difference between Europe and here and the whole you know, the, our mag strip versus their uh, encryption. Um, do you think that as we move to a more mobile payment system, um, that they might be, or we might grow closer to how Europe approaches, excuse me, how Europe approaches things um, in that manner, or whether we'll still be you know, using the traditional mag strip as the vehicle for the mobile payments? Uh, I'm not as aggressive as many on proclaiming the death of the magnetic strip. The, mm-hmm. the challenge that we have here in the United States is we're, we're predominantly early adopters. And so there's billions and billions and billions of dollars tied up in infrastructure here in the United States to support magnetic stripes. 
uh, credit cards are relatively, when compared with the U.S., they're a relatively new phenomenon uh, across the remainder of the world. And so new, so new technologies such as chip and pin, where there's a chip embedded in the card, and when you swipe your card, you also have to provide a pin as opposed to a signature. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, as the infrastructure was rolled out to support that technology in Europe, they, they weren't having to replace legacy technology that, again, these low-margin businesses like mom-and-pop stores or even... If, if you want to consider large organizations like Walmart or uh, other main or other large retailers like that, consider the millions or billions of dollars they would have to spend to replace all of their existing technology to be able to support a card with no real benefit to them. The 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 cost ends up on the the cost ends up being borne by the credit card companies and the processors who turn around and charge that back as a percentage that gets charged to the retailer that then gets essentially charged to the consumer. But it's, it's all hidden. So it's interesting, uh, your, your comment's interesting because you, you mentioned early adopters, and it seemed that in, in the mobile space, it, you know, Europe and other countries seem to be farther ahead of us. But, but since this is really a system that's built on a credit card payment system, um, you know, they may be far ahead of us in, in terms of you know some of the latest mobile technologies. But as you said, because it's we, we were the first to really adopt a um, a credit card you know based system in the way that we have, um, this is really just an ornament to that, and just adds some greater convenience and facilitation. And so, in essence, what you're you're, you're offering um, is a a mobile add-on to an existing credit card device. Very much so. And by early adopters, to clarify that a little bit, uh, in the U.S., we adopted analog cell phone mm-hmm. long before the rest of the world. And so we built out an enormous, and Verizon, you know, kind of Verizon and AT&T inherited large parts of this, but they de- we deployed these enormous analog towers that were limited in capacity and limited in the number of, of uh uh, features that you could offer. We spent billions of dollars on that, which wasn't spent in the rest of the world. As newer technologies like GSM came along that, that really made cell phones much more powerful and useful for the end consumer, the rest of the world started investing in that newer technology, which allowed them to uh, leapfrog the U.S., as it were, in the mobile space by deploying more technologically advanced phones. And in the meantime, and, and we look at this over the past decade, the U.S. has been playing catch-up with the rest of the world in technological arenas uh, such as, cell, as uh, cell phones and cellular technology, mobile technology, because we have to replace that legacy infrastructure that was already built. It's the same problem. It's sunk money. Uh, it's it's a challenge to uh, replace it if it works. Now, in in, in promoting this and, and and rolling this out, um, who, what is the the driver? Is it more the restaurants offering it, or is it the more consumers want you know seeking this out? And then and then I I have this capability now. I want to go to restaurants that have that. I think it's going to be a mix. Initially, it's going to be restaurants wanting it, and the restaurants are less interested in the security aspects of the device and the efficiency aspects of the device. 
For example, when you put a rail system in, the payment work on behalf of a waiter is one trip to the table. They, they log into the device, they select your table, they place it on the device, and you're able to pay. If you think about the transaction today, assuming you're going to pay with a credit card, your waiter goes to the, the point of sale system and prints out your check. Then they deliver it to the table. Then you pull out a credit card and, and place it in the billfold so that they can see it. And so they come back to the table and they collect that. Then they go back to the POS system. They enter in your credit card number and approve it. Then they print and they print out a uh, credit card, a pair of credit card slips, one for you and one for the restaurant. They return to the table. They deliver that uh, to you. You sign one, take one. Then they have to go back to the POS and enter your tip amount and close out the check. With the rail system, what can happen in a restaurant is literally uh, a waiter picks up the device from a table next to you where somebody is done, they log into it, they select your table, they place it on your table, and they're done. The only reason they would have to get involved in that transaction is if for some reason you have a problem. It, nice. And in the, in the case where maybe a card is declined, a very uncomfortable situation, that's between you and the device. There's no more discomfort for the waiter. You just pull out another payment method and pay with it. There's also, uh, the restaurants are also clamoring for this because we have the ability to introduce a better experience for the consumer in interacting with the restaurant. We can ask a couple of very quick questions and the restaurant can get very important feedback on what your experience is like as a guest that they may not get uh, if they leave the card at the table that... Uh, I don't know if you've ever taken the time to fill one of those out, but I can't remember if I ever have. I don't believe I ever have. And in terms of um, kind of the legal construct in which you're operating, um, mm -hmm. you're just a processor. I mean, so basically the consumer still has the same rights vis-a-vis -vis the, the credit card company. Um, you're not – your only relationship with the consumer is really just processing that, that transaction. That is correct. We, we have features that we plan in the future to enhance this with the customer, but uh, I don't know if you've ever had your credit card stolen. Yes. Or uh, <laughs> uh, I, I'm sure you can remember the pain that you dealt with. Uh, particularly, I don't know if it was a credit card or a debit card, but if you had your debit card data stolen and your bank account emptied, yes, the bank will refund that money, and that's a very simple transaction. But if in the meantime your mortgage check bounced, your car payment check bounced, uh, you couldn't buy food at the restaurant because your bank account was empty, or, or I'm sorry, at the grocery store, whatever it was, that takes time to resolve. And, and it's painful for the consumer. And more and more, uh, the CEO of our company just came into my office yesterday, and he received a, a letter in the mail from Nordstrom saying they had denied him credit that he never applied for. He called wow. up. Somebody had, his, had other credit card numbers that had all kinds of information on him that they were able to use to attempt to apply for credit. And the reason they denied the credit was because they had his birthday wrong. Okay. I was going to say, which is worse, finding out you've been denied or finding out it wasn't you? Um, right. But, but in the meantime, now he realizes that uh, they have his address, they have his Social Security number, they have, his, his, they have credit card numbers, his his uh, birth month, but wrong date. 
anyway, it, it's uh, it, it can be a as more and more consumers go through this, more and more consumers are going to clamor for secure methods of payment. Well, where would Andrew Pope and we? We're going to take a short break, and when we come back. Um, we're going to talk more about the um, mobile payments, and uh, after these messages. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. The Web Marketing Association is now accepting entries into the 16th Annual International Web Award Competition. Independent judges from around the world recognize the best websites from nearly 100 industries. Web Awards winners receive an image plaque, certificate of achievement, higher visibility for your company, valuable feedback from our expert judges, and links to your site from the highly ranked Web Awards site. You can't win if you don't enter. Sign up now at www.webaward.org. Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrandsWithAZ for eBrands. As you know, being an expert at f- <gasps> What did she say? Requires lots of practice and a great tool. Think you could use some help with f- Whoa! You're not alone. Hundreds have used our tool to take their f- performance to the next level the language of course we're talking about managing facebook ads on aquizio oh buy track manage optimize and report on media across all major ad networks visit aquizio.com to get a demo today aquizio search social display one platform Radio's Virtual Autobahn. WebmasterRadio.fm. Moving at the speed of light. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back. This is Ben Kelly with the Cyber Law and Business Report, and we're talking about mobile payments with Andrew Pope. Andrew, um, we got coming up tomorrow the FTC conference entitled Paper, Plastic, or Mobile, an FTC workshop on mobile payments. And um, there's going to be a number of, just number of areas of discussion from privacy to consumer um, consumer issues. And have you had had a chance to look at the upcoming agenda and have any thoughts about what um, might happen there tomorrow? You know, I, I have looked at the agenda. It's it's anybody's best guess what's going to happen there tomorrow. There, it, it's such mobile payments, and where it is headed is such a wild, wild west. Uh, it's a new frontier that that needs to be defined, and there's going to be a lot of interesting interplay. I believe traditionally. Uh, for payments, we've been dealing with the banks, but uh, let's consider how mobile has changed over the past maybe six or seven years, and who are you going to get the bill from 
I, I think that's going to be one of the big things that's going to come out of all of this. Are you going to get your bill from uh, Visa or MasterCard? Are you going to get it from your bank? Or are you going to get it from your cell phone company? Yeah, that's that's a big issue. And it's interesting, so, you, your, oh, your, your, your comments are prescient because you know, in other areas, the FTC, when they're trying to get their arms around an issue, will sometimes have um, an event like this and just say, okay, um, here we are, people educate us. <laughs> and, um, and, and that's how they kind of got their arms around your privacy in, in, in the social media age is by having a series of workshops like these. Um, you know, one issue that I see coming up is privacy. And to what extent that, you know, your use of um, how you use the location data. Um, so if I purchase, you, you, if I purchase at certain restaurants, you now know that I, you can geo-target to me. And um, I don't know if to what extent you guys have, you know, do use that uh, facility or not. Um, but I think that, do you have any thoughts on that being an issue? You know, privacy is such an all-encompassing problem and trying to determine what personally identifiable information is mm-hmm. uh, you know we, we think it's all mailed down by if you get my name or you get my birthday or you get my social security number it used to be social security number right now it's email mm-hmm. address and social security number and all of this other information but can you identify me by the fact that uh, I bought in a particular grocery store this morning I went to a particular gas station. I picked up my uh, my coffee, and all of a sudden, you can start to get a pattern. Can you personally identify me by that pattern? And how does that right. play into all of this? That's uh, that's a concerning thing, particularly when you look at Massachusetts, and they're kind of on the forefront of this. But their new privacy protection law at five thousand dollars per breach. If you lose right. a thousand, you lose information on a thousand people. That's that's an incredible. It's five million dollars. Well, the EU is proposing two percent of your profits right. um, as a penalty, and um, but I mean, in terms, of, I mean, that's where the I think the money is in this industry, isn't it? Because the you have extremely valuable data, right? Or is it? Or just, you know, obviously, there's going to be part of the money is in. Just volume. You, you're doing a large number of transactions, and um, and so. But to a certain extent, I would imagine it is also from the data you can monetize. Absolutely, uh, being able to, and and then, you, as you monetize the data, you you certainly have to be certain that it's not personally identifiable, uh, and but there, but. Having an enormous amount of data of the patterns in people, things, for example, uh, and just as an example, when somebody orders an absolute, what other type of food do they typically order? Uh, is that information valuable to Stoli? Because maybe they would like to compete with absolute, just to use a couple of brands out there in, in the hospitality space. Uh, as you as you look at things like that, how can you take that data? How can you combine it into not personally identifiable data, but data that then can be monetized and has value to others from a marketing perspective? 
Now, um, you mentioned you threw out the question. <laughs> I'm curious. Is, mm-hmm. do, is that just a hypothetical, or do you have an answer? On the, we don't have an answer food? to that. Uh, it's 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 a hypothetical <laughs> at this point. We don't collect <laughs> enough information to be able to uh, report on that uh, today. But there's there are a great number of companies that would clamor for that type of data. Oh, certainly. And yeah, we that, have no relationship to be able thought. to monetize that data either at this point. Now we're um you know, we're running short on time, Andrew. But I was wondering if you want to you know, tell us tell consumers how how they can find you on the web and uh, and what to look for next. Uh, the, our website is viableware.com. dot uh, com. We are uh, we we have a Facebook presence. If you look us up by Viableware, you can follow us on Twitter. I believe it's hashtag Viableware. Uh, we have. Several announcements. The National Restaurant Association show is the first week in May, and uh, we have some very major announcements that will be coming out there. And, of course, those will be on our website. They'll be on our Facebook. We'll be tweeting about them. There will be all kinds of information out. Well, very good. Um, I want to thank you for joining us. It's been a pleasure talking to you and learning more about this This. Clearly, it's going to be a booming space, and um, you're very wise to be in it at this early stage. But, Andrew, thank you very much for joining us, and um, we'll look forward to having you again sometime. Thank you very much, Bennett. It has been a pleasure. In our second half, we're going to talk about some of the things going on in Washington. And this is, in case you didn't know, um, or you haven't sent the card to anyone yet, this is um, Cyber Week in Washington, according to the House Representatives, as they have several bills that are coming to the floor. Um, but one of the more interesting things that have come up, though, is that there has been um, a reports released for the quarterly um, the, the lobbying reports through the end of Q, um, Q4 of 2011 have not been released. And what we're seeing is a significant um, change in um, a significant change in um, the internet presence um, on Capitol Hill. In particular, um, we're seeing big spikes in spending by, um, by both um, Google and Facebook. And so you know, there was a time when um, there was a time when that wasn't a big priority in terms of spending um, for the internet space, but now they're definitely taking care of business. It looks like, and so um, that is um, that's definitely a big development. And in fact, the internet has surpassed some other industries, um, and um, such as oil and gas, even in terms of. Um, you know, where they are and uh on on the registry there and so it's um it's a big deal um and especially since it was only you know a few years back you know there there was some in the internet that who did not take this seriously and I remember being at a com- uh, the tech policy conference in two thousand four um when um it was um there was one CEO who bragged about not paying attention um to um these type of issues and so to have this type of um 
response is definitely a, a change in pace. And uh, so um, in a few minutes, we're going to have Jessica Wasserman on. And Jessica is um, someone I've known for God, 20 years or more now. And she's a, a, a lobbyist who specializes in you know, technology and, and trade issues. Um, she actually dealt with trade issues in the Clinton administration. But um, we're just, when we get her on, we'll be talking to her about that. But um, in the interim, um, Google's spike is – you can actually look at it yourself. Um, there's a website called opensecrets.org, and you can look at the, the big spike in terms of Google and um, some of the other – the spike is significant, I think. And um, the fact that, that it is um, – okay, we've got the coordinates. Um, the fact that it is – such a big um, increase um, is significant because um, you know it's, it's a further sign of the maturation of the industry and the fact that it is now surpassing um, groups like oil and gas and um, means that also means there's, there's money there and there's a lot at stake. Why don't we take a, a short break and when we come back, we'll have Jessica Wasman on the line after these messages. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. In 500 yards, CPA Way will be on your right. You have reached your destination. On the interstate of internet marketing, CPA Way helps you monetize the way. No matter which direction you're heading, CPA Way is your route to low-risk revenue. Advertisers, we have paved the way to delivering revenue channels that will meet and exceed your expectations. Publishers, we monitor and manage your campaigns to bring you the most revenue possible. Publishers can feel secure to leverage direct offers, while advertisers can find safety, offering their most valued campaigns. The road to trust, respect, integrity, and honor is just ahead at CPAWay.com. And now, spanning the globe to give you the most in-depth coverage of events that matter to you. Now you can listen to WebmasterRadio.fm on the go from anywhere. Look for WebmasterRadio.fm on TuneIn. Available for download on your iPhone, iPad, BlackBerry, Android, Palm, Samsung, and Windows Phone. As well as Google TV, Yahoo TV, and Roku. Tune in to WebmasterRadio.fm on the go from anywhere by downloading TuneIn right now. WebmasterRadio.fm. We really are everywhere. Oh, yeah. My day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use CertifiedKnowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. All celebrity voices are impersonated. Example number 74 of Dialogue. You will never read in our chat room. I have an affiliate offer for you. I want to interest you in pineapples. 
You want me to sell pineapples? Actually, I'll have some apple pie a la mode. It pleases me. Or maybe cobbler. Goodbye. Make deals and make money with people like you without the spam. I don't like being kicked out. You make me feel ignored. Goodbye. The webmasterradio.fm chat room. Live in real time every day. Click on the chat tab from our homepage. Welcome to SEO 101, your introductory course on search engine optimization. So, turn on your computers, open your minds, grab your mouse, and get ready to get back to the basics. SEO 101, Mondays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the search engine optimization channel, only on webmasterradio.fm. Podcasting at the speed of sound. WebmasterRadio.fm, the flamethrower. WebmasterRadio.fm, we're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back. Um, we managed to get Jessica Wassman. Um, she's with us. Jess, you there? Yep, I'm here. Jess, thanks. Thanks for joining us. Um, and uh, just a, a, what's a, a just give us a little bit of your background for people who are just joining us. Well, you're talking to me from uh, I'm here in Washington D.C., where I uh, run a small consultancy um, called Wasserman and Associates that deals with uh, lobbying, government relations type work in the uh, tech, particularly internet sector. Very good. And you were um, you, you were in the Commerce Department and Agriculture Department under Clinton? Yeah, that's correct. I was at uh, the Commerce Department in the Clinton administration um, and uh, focused a lot on international trade work, including um, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act and some of the Internet issues that were being addressed way back then, which haven't changed all that much. No, they haven't, and DMCA is still one of my favorite um, Village People songs. But anyway, um, <laughs> the, uh, we're talking today, if, if any people who aren't familiar, there's a website called opensecrets.org, and they, they collect all this information from you know, pu- you know, publicly available lobbying reports and FEC disclosures. And so they actually have, um, they release some data on you know, who's spending how much on lobbying. And, and just, um, I recall when there was a big battle over net neutrality in 2005, 2006, how the Internet industry, despite having widespread support, just got swamped on Capitol Hill by the telecoms, you know, just the order of magnitude. And I'm looking at um, Google's expenditures in 2006, which were less than $2 million. And in 2011, they're just shy of $12 million. Um, it's, it's a remarkable jump. And I don't, what, what is your impression of that? Well, you're right. They just got swamped by the telecoms, and I think in response to that, started um, ramping up. But um, the reason you're seeing so much press right at the moment is that quarterly, just now, um, the uh, Mandatory Lobbying Disclosure Act um, uh, reporting is due. And so everyone, the press looks at that and reports it and so forth. And uh, it is true that um, Google in particular uh, spent, you know, I think five million or so in the first quarter this year. Um, wow. More, yep, it's uh, more than Apple, Facebook, Microsoft combined. 
but maybe more significantly more than Verizon spent, uh, which is pretty amazing in this quarter. Um, I think they're just feeling the pressure on all sorts of fronts. Um, they're, they're lobbying. Um, it seems to me they're, they're throwing uh, the kitchen sink, throwing mud at the wall, trying everything, because they've hired just a tremendous number of different uh, lobby firms, all seemingly working on the same issues. So I'm not sure how strategic they are yet. But uh, at the same time, you know, they're throwing the kitchen sink is also being thrown at them. It seems that you know, and in, in the battle of SOPA, one of the interesting developments was when you know Republican Congressman Issa said, you know, we, we can't use um, this as a you know, to make as another excuse to make Google a political pinata. And, you know, which in essence revealed that <laughs> there had been somewhat of a strategy to make Google a political pinata um, because of their perceived close ties to the Obama administration. Uh, how, how real is that? Well, um, Google is responding to that. Um, so they must have, must have felt real to them. They hired a new head of their office, Susan Molinari, who was formerly a Republican congresswoman. And... Uh, Probably. She was married to another congressman, huh? wasn't she? Wasn't she married to another congressman? Yeah, she was. Uh, boy, his name just jumped out of my head, but they're both out of Congress now. Is um, he Downey or something he, like that? No, from... that's not him. Uh, she was from uh, New York, uh, Staten Island area, and he was from, uh, I want to say the Midwest, but... Um, oh, a mixed marriage. <laughs> <laughs> but they're both lobbyists in D.C. now. Um and so I think they are definitely trying to uh, get Republican. Uh, and if you check on the lobby disclosure, too, their Crossroads is a very well-known um, Republican on the right side lobby shop, and they've got them working for them. So they clearly seem to need feel the need to appear bipartisan. Do in in. In your visits to the Hill, um, I guess there's two issues. One is, do you get a sense of the greater um, presence on Capitol Hill of the tech industry than, say, maybe four years ago? Oh, my goodness, yes. Um, because, you know, Google, for example, has only had an office for, gosh, I want to say five years or something. Um, and certainly Microsoft went through the same uh, learning curve um, some years ago, but um, you've got um, Facebook and um, uh, GoDaddy and some others that are really um, building their DC offices substantially, um, and uh, there's some talk of uh, new coalitions of just internet folks. You've got to wonder how well they get along with each other at all times, but they certainly have a lot of issues in common, even as their competitors. But that yeah, always that is, that's always a the challenge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Working um, side by side while stabbing each other in the back. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there are a lot of international issues that are coming up for the industry, too, as you might imagine. Um, the EU and... The privacy issues and the cybersecurity issues um, play out on, in the international fora, too. So um, I noticed well, some hiring in that arena as well. And, and well, there's also a new issue, I think, it came out this week when President Obama was speaking at the the Holocaust Museum, you know, on the anniversary of the Holocaust Remembrance Day, um, 
about you you using software to assist repressive regimes in censoring the internet. He indicated that there was going to be sanctions um, in that regard, and so I imagine that that's another international issue. To, to yeah, that's to, fascinating, so we, and that's one where. Um, you know, all the online folks, Google and Facebook and everybody, can feel good and work together um, with the administration. And um, I think is really exciting. I don't know, uh, in the, during the um, Arab Spring, uh, Secretary Clinton said uh, once something about uh, uh, including inter- uh, Internet rights in human rights, which was really a remarkable moment, um, but it shows how critical the State Department views the Internet to foreign policy. Um, oh, definitely. And what's interesting is that you know, this comes at a very interesting time because there was just the government of Pakistan had issued a request for proposal for, and, you know, and very, and not even attempting to hide it, um, a request for Internet censorship technology. And um, there was a lot of pressure put on U.S. companies not to bid. And um, uniformly, they didn't. And so Pakistan pulled the proposal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, that that was kind of a, a success um, for both the industry and for those who are trying to you know, promote the Internet aspect of human rights. Yeah, it's a very um, important and tough issue for the companies. I know Google struggled with it a lot in China, as we all know. Um, yes, and and the and also Yahoo had a big to do because you know I guess they provided some information to the Chinese government that led to dissidents being being imprisoned and I think their families sued Yahoo over that. Mm-hmm. Yes, that was a, a disappointing turn of events, but um, it is you can see the the um, merits are, are are tough to get through because you don't want to facilitate the government, but you don't want to cut off the um, citizenry from access to the Internet. So, Right, and how do you, and do you have to abandon the largest market in the world? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you don't want to do and that. And that's a tough <laughs> challenge. But I think there was a very moving moment when um, you know, the late um, Congressman Lantos had Yahoo before him and his committee and, you know, and had the families of the people who were in prison at the hearing and said, and asked them to confront them and said, you know, you may be technological giants, but you're moral pygmies. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of a memorable quote. Now, um, this week is Cyber Week in, in Capitol Hill. And what to tell us what that means. Well, um, there are a number of bills, both in the Senate and the House, that uh, have been floating around for a while on um, cybersecurity. And I know there's been some additional activity uh, on the House side on one of the bills. Um, and, uh, you know, there's just that issue is continues to be um, one that uh, the Congress seems to want to address, especially in light of um, hacking again, by uh, some of the countries we were just mentioning. Um, that, rhyme, that rhyme with Heine? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, so I think the House Intelligence Committee looked at that bill and marked it up and the, um, forget what the, uh, there's so many of them floating around, CISPA, yeah, um, is the House bill. But then there are a couple on the Senate side, too. But there's, 
uh, what they were doing was narrowing it down. Um, that committee, of course, is looking at it from the uh, government defense um, side, and but they were accommodating civil liberties concerns and oversharing concerns and trying to make it much narrower that the ISPs would only have uh, some sort of obligation to share the data in more extreme situations. Um, and I guess that's bill. that's the issue is in, in – the one thing they have it narrow. There's a clause in CISPA that says, notwithstanding any obligations under existing law, um, that so more or less gives them a get out of jail card or you know uh, a tr- a wild card to do whatever they whatever they want, um, even if it's prescribed by other laws. And and there seems to be no attempt to narrow that, which is, seems to be the source of controversy. Yeah, that could. Um I'm not sure about that particular provision, but it seemed as if they were trying to narrow it to certain, you know, life-threatening situations and um, so forth that would would narrow it. I don't know whether they'll succeed in satisfying anyone in that. Um, you know, another issue that comes up internationally is as soon as we do that in the U.S., other countries are not willing to share their they start raising issues about uh, sharing with us, right? Um, because so it also, and there's also some people that say that it's a continuation of some of the kind of monitoring that people found objectionable during the the early days of the Patriot Act under the Bush administration. Exactly, and that in essence you're codifying it, and mm-hmm. I think that's part of the part of the objection too. Um, we're running short on time, but this one thing I want to hit on. Was um, the it was the Internet Hall of Fame was uh, launched this week with an induction ceremony in Geneva, Switzerland, and just I I didn't get my invitation. Did you? <laughs> yeah, I did, but you know I couldn't go. I had to turn them down. Yeah, you you kids, so it's <laughs> have a long trip. But um, so some of the people uh, are are very well known that you may that may have been maybe aware of who got inducted. Um, Craig Newmark from Craigslist. Um, Vint Cerf, you know, Cert, the um, founder of the internet, as some say. And then, of course, there's the um, former vice president of the United States, um, Al Gore. And so, but of course, I, I didn't see any references to Nigerian princes or the, you know, the Numa Numa guy on YouTube. <laughs> or, uh, yeah, who, 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 some of the people that you, you, you're surprised are on there? <laughs> well, you weren't there, Bennett. I'm not, I know. Sure. I mean, shocking. Last week was the Pulitzers. This week is this. What's <laughs> going to be next week? Um, but I don't know who should be on there. Vince Surf is always comes up, and Al Gore always. But uh, you know, maybe um, the head of Facebook, the founder of Facebook, founder of Google, founder of um, yeah. Yahoo. <laughs> they have um. You know the the guy who created email. He he's definitely he's on there. And actually, if you're interested, the the website is just um, internethalloffame.org, um, and uh, they they went to town on creating a brand there. <laughs> and um, but it was presented by it's sponsored by the Internet Society. When I actually I talked to them about doing the show today, uh, but they're all you know, they're on the way back from um, Geneva, so it just wasn't going to work out. How but, often um, do they have this? Um, will they induct this, people? This was the debut year, and so this is the first class of in- inductees. 
And so that's why I suggested you know, a few of my own nominees, you know, the Nigerian For next year. General. They'll do it annually, you think? Um, yes, it's going to be an annual affair. And um, so uh, we'll have, maybe we'll get invited to Geneva next year. But um, it, I think it's a worthwhile thing. Cause it also, you know, it's interesting that to bring this up in, in light of the last conversation we just had because um, it's a sign of the maturation of the industry. If you know, we're, we're finally having a presence on Capitol Hill, we had the huge success um, with SOPA, and now we're actually at a point where we've been around long enough that we can have a Hall of Fame. And um, and so it, this is maybe the next. We're now entering maybe the second generation of the internet, and um, so this is a, a good opportunity to look back at what we've achieved with the first. Yeah, I agree, but I do think that you know you should test my lobbying chops by giving me a list of who you want on there for next year, and I'll see what I can do. Oh, okay, I'll definitely do that. Um, and Jess, if people want information on you, uh, what's the best way for them to, to look you up? Um, Jessica Wasserman um, on LinkedIn is the best place to find me, I think. That's the best place to find you. Now, you're, you're obviously, um, everyone's familiar with Craig um, Newmark from Craigslist. He was, he was on there. And um, so maybe, maybe uh, one, I haven't seen his Facebook page today. I wonder if he's, he has anything on there um, about his award. Let's take a quick look at Craig on Facebook. And, Craigslist, uh, <laughs> of all the... Uh, Internet inventions. That one doesn't strike me as the most critical, but well, I think what he's also also done is is, is what he's done outside of the uh, um, Craigslist. He's he created Donor Shoes, you know, which is a major major platform for um, you know giving to um, nonprofits. And in fact, schools all over the country um, are able to get um, supplies through his organization. I mean, you know, we give to that, That's and you get, you get wonderful letters from students saying, "Oh, you know, your, your telescope has enabled us to do things that you know we didn't weren't able to do before because we had no money." Mm-hmm. And um, and so um, yeah, it's it's he's definitely been been somewhat of a. Um, and kind of an Andrew Carnegie or um, of the, the internet um, tycoons, and he's been very active. And I know he at one point expressed an interest in trying to develop a Marshall Fund um, for the Gaza and the West Bank. You know, hope thinking that maybe economic development is really the route to peace in that region. Mm-hmm. So he's definitely he's thinking way beyond um, Craigslist. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's actually a very interesting guy. Um, so and. Congratulations to Craig and um, Mr. Gore. Um, Vint Surf, I've met. He's actually quite a funny guy and, a, and a, somewhat of a party animal. Ah. And and, uh, and the the other people, there's, there's about 20 of them are named. I recommend that you check them out. But Jess, it's been a pleasure. I want to thank you for joining us. And sorry about the um, the hook, uh, the glitch in getting you on. But um, we're thrilled you were here. I hope you consider joining us again. And um, um and especially during the special Cyber Week. So um, this is Bennett Kelly with the Internet Law Center. You can always get more information on the topics on this show at our blog, which is ilccyberreport.wordpress.com. And I um, hope you'll join us um, at our next show. We're actually taking a – we will not be here next week uh, in honor of Rhode Island Independence Day, um, but we'll be back in, um, shortly thereafter in May. But thank you for joining us, and um, quarters adjourned. We will see you soon.
This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com.